Comments made on the Ceratalk Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. It's time for High Contrast, the show where we talk about everything visually impaired, low vision for those folks that are trapped between sighted and not so sighted. I'm Rodney Edgar of TechAccessWeekly.com, and we are joined today with interesting topics by... To my virtual left, it is Mari Hill from the Zoomed In blog over at AI Squared. Good evening, Rodney. How are you? Doing well. Hopefully you are enjoying Vermont's new weather for the day. Oh, yes. It's kind of rainy here. Very hot. It's wonderful. And in the chair to the virtual right is Ranger Joe Steinkamp of Serotech and Everything SPN. Jeremy Curry is currently on assignment. This is true. Indiana Pacers. He's probably going to a game right now. I don't know. I don't even know if he is a basketball fan. But, you know, he's in Indiana, Fort Wayne with TW Micro. I might as well just make that joke while I can, while it's still basketball season. Hi, everybody. Tyler Hansbro, Carolina product. And for the weather report, I might as well just say in Texas, it is dang hot and moving to, ooh, golly, in about uh, five more degrees. It's 92 here today. It gets. Oh, it's it's rainy and muggy here. It's cool for me. Oh, but no tornadoes your way, huh? Yeah, that's way up north. Houston is good. We just get the hurricanes. Okay. Exciting weather discussions as we talk the Weather Channel. <laughs> that's no, correct. wait. Weather on the wrong, nines. Wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Every nine minutes in this podcast, we'll give you weather from a day that was recorded a long time ago. It has no bearing on what you're actually listening to right now. But hey, that's the service we provide. We're good. Uh, it's always an interesting start to the show. And we are not going to talk about the Houston Texans getting the Super Bowl. That was announced today, if you are a sports fan. And we will not mention the Charlotte Bobcats are getting the Hornet name back from the 90s. So yeah, that's <laughs> Finally, news in my some area. mascots that make sense. You know, Utah Jazz, yes. New Orleans Jazz. How did that ever happen? You know, it just, fine, okay. Uh, who knows? But anyway, seeing as how we are crossing around the globe with all of this chitter-chatter and useless speak, we are here today and we are going to talk a little bit about the experiences of going to Disney World Ooh. from a low vision aspect. It's a world because of dreams. Because Ranger has been there. Yes, many times. A world of dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ranger has been there numerous times and Mari Hill joined the fray in mid-April, I have not yet made it to Disney. I'm still waiting on Looney Tunes land. The power lands. of the mouse compels you. The power of the mouse compels you. Actually, originally, the Disney World was supposed to actually be in North Carolina, but the Lumbee Indians would not sell the land, or at least that's the way the tribal speak goes. But I digress. Yes. There were not enough beads involved? Was there... I, oh, okay, never mind. I'm going to... Step away there from that remark. Actually, Florida sold uh, Walt the land as a under the right of self-government. Very interesting story there. If you ever go look up stuff about Disney World, it was all swampland. And Walt came in and said, you know, you're never going to do anything with that. And I'm willing to dump millions and millions of dollars to develop it. And if it really works out, great for me. If it doesn't work out, great for you because you got millions and millions of dollars. So there's actually a Walt Disney police force, Walt Disney electric company All of it is under the right of self-government in that particular area. In fact, uh, Orlando people usually get very upset about it because things get diverted from their area over to Disney. And uh, seeing how they bring in like 1% of all tourism to Florida, I can understand why. 
And now we have just proven that Ranger can talk about just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Disney aficionado. If this thing does happen. Well, End of line show, EOLshow.com. There you go. I was wondering how that relationship oh. was between Disney Orlando when we were taking the bus from like Disney back to the hotel. And it was, I'm sure, way over limit. People just packed in like sardines. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's legal, but obviously people turn the other cheek. <laughs> so I guess we'll get started with the main topic and less rambling now. We'll try for that. So, Mari, in planning for this large trip going from Vermont down to the state of Florida, how did you go about preparing for the trip, looking for rooms, transportation, all the little nuts and bolts that have to go into planning a trip like that? Yeah, I spent endless hours on the computer and at 6X Magnification Plus, it's really not a lot of fun anymore <laughs> researching things because you're going to websites you've never been to, you don't know how it's laid out, blah, blah, blah. So in searching for basically doing travel planning, I finally just gave up and called Disney <laughs> and said, what do you got? How much is it? Okay, sounds good. And I made the hotel reservations, the theme park tickets, the dinner meal plan, which, you know, you had to figure Ooh. out if that was yes. worth it or not. It's just way too much to investigate. And finally, I just kind of gave into the system. <laughs> <laughs> you could do this all independently, or you could just click here and check all these boxes. Right. So I finally ended up just doing it with one phone call and even got transferred to make specific meal reservations at different theme parks. Like I pretty much made a dinner reservation every day. And that worked well because that kind of gave us some structure without too much. I've never been mm -hmm. much of a scheduler, planner kind of person. I'm kind of go with the flow. But when you have a kid and you're on vacation where you do have limited time, having a little bit of structure is good, I think. It's such a large environment, too. Yeah. Because then you can kind of sort of say, okay, if we're going to eat in, say, Frontierland, we need to start working our way over from fantasy land, yada, yada, yada. So you can actually kind of sort of plan out your map and get a good idea of where you want to go or what you want to hit. Or if there's something that the kids specifically really, really want to do, like Star Tours or maybe that new test track, then you can kind of sort of say, okay, well, we know we want to get there first because that's on the other side of the entire park. Right. And not being there and knowing how much we have to walk probably good that we do this here. The pavilions is a perfect example of that. If you're in Epcot and you choose a pavilion to eat at that's towards the back of Epcot, you want to make sure that you get all the stuff done in the front of the park first before you go start traping to the back where the pavilions are because people start lining up for the fireworks and that can be a real pain in the butt to try and walk around if you're trying to go eat. Yeah. And actually the distances within the park, it really doesn't take that long to get from one end of the park to the other. But yeah, you do have to plan a little bit. And I remember before going down, my boss said, 
a lot of people strategize before they go down. And he said, it's vacation, you know, just go. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was really good advice. But in some situations, you would want to strategize. We had a five-day pass. So that gave us some leeway, some wiggle room. If we had a three-day and we wanted to hit all four theme parks, you really do have to kind of strategize a little bit. So it depends on how long you're going, who's with you. That's a key component. You know, what are the personalities (laughs) involved here? If you got two young boys who have to do all the scary rides, then you probably should plan accordingly. (laughs) And also, as far as the planning, they have a mobile app, Disney Experience or something like that. And that was not completely accessible. There was a lot of buttons that just said button. So I didn't really use that much. The one on iOS? Yes. Yeah, I know. And it does a lot of, if you put your finger on it, it pops up a little thought balloon and tells you about the park and what's there and all this stuff. And you're right, it doesn't read with voiceover and it's not great with magnification either. It is okay. I've had actually people use their Nintendo 3DS or DS because it too can actually grab into the Wi-Fi in the park and be able to tell you things about the park or ride times and stuff like that, which is really neat, but that's not really, you know, talky either. That's more pull out your magnifier and rub your nose up against the screen. I agree. It's helpful to some respect, but it does work out better to maybe look at the map of the park ahead of time or have a map there on your laptop in the hotel. If you have an opportunity to do that, especially after you've walked it, like you said, with the five days, You've kind of walked it and you have a more mental map of, oh, okay, this is what it's like on a 2D screen. But now that I'm here in 3D world, that ain't nowhere close to where that is over there. (laughs) Or that bridge doesn't go to where I thought it goes. So yeah, that does help. Yeah. I definitely agree that if I had to do it over again, I would have looked at the maps of the theme parks before I went just a little more, just to get an idea. A rudimentary. Yeah, Yeah. a rudimentary. Where's Frontier Town in relationship to Fantasyland and and that kind of thing? Yeah, or the stops on the monorail if you're staying in the park. Right, but because doing it on site, you get these small maps, and the thing is that they're numbered where you see a number on the map and then you have to refer down to what that number is. And that just doesn't work when you're visually impaired going back and forth with a magnifier or whatever. It's just not realistic. Some of the shops have uh, big maps that you can buy occasionally. I've been there when they've actually had the big, because they are always updating the park. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they don't have the newest maps there. So one or two things might be out of step, but there have been times where I've used wall maps. Mm-hmm. And you, sometimes you don't have room in the hotel, but I've posted it up on the wall with thumbtacks and gone, okay, here's where we want to go. Here's the you know way we want to get there. But yeah, I can understand that completely. But getting into the park, did you have any problems going through the initial experience, presenting your passes, going through the gates? It's set up so easily. And, you know, I didn't really investigate the transportation system before going down, like the monorail stops. I didn't look at any of that, really. And I found it pretty easy. You walk out of the hotel and there's different stops for different theme parks. And I would have my daughter read the sign. And, 
you know, okay, we want to go to Magic Kingdom today, so we got to stand here. And then going to the park, you just get off the bus, follow the people, basically. They check your backpack, and you get in, and let's see, what do we have for a pass? I guess it was that card, whatever card they give you when you check into the hotel room, if you're staying at a Disney hotel. So that was easy. Oh, yeah, and you put your finger on. Was that there when you were there, Joe? Yeah, uh, Universal does that too, where they mark with uh, thumbprints so you don't give your ticket to somebody else, that it actually kind of codes the two together. Right, and you want to use the same finger each time. And that took a little... Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. That took, <laughs> Today I'll use my pinky. Right, no, you won't. <laughs> right. So that took a little fiddling sometimes, but it worked pretty neat. And there was someone right there, so they would tell you, well, is that the same yeah. finger you used? Or, you know, and they were very nice. They're all very nice, as you know. <laughs> yeah. And oh, yeah. So I found that... A lot of flat surfaces, too. If you're using cane travel with a rolling tip or if you have someone who is in your party who's in a wheelchair, there's a lot of flat surfaces in Magic Kingdom. There are a couple of kind of up-y-down places in Epcot. When you get to some of the newer parks, it gets a little dicey, like while the Animal Kingdom one is the one I'm thinking of that has a lot of crazy ways to walk up and down. And that's kind of helpful as well. The Universal is one long, long trek. In fact, there are people movers to get you into Universal Park. That is, my father was in a scooter, and uh, that was one of the things that we learned early on was that wasn't a fun experience for him because there's such a long walk into the Universal. And then certain parts of Universal, like if you're going to Harry Potter World, require a lot of ramp-type, hills especially like when you have to cut across through dr seuss land and things like that in fact navigating disney is a lot easier than navigating universal in my opinion and plus universal is broken into two pieces so unless you have done the uh gouge you for everything in your pocket pass uh, <laughs> you'll only do one side so if you're trying to do like let's say men in black or some of the bigger roller coasters they're on the other side and harry potter's on its own side so uh you can do harry potter and spider-man and stuff like that but you can't necessarily do both unless you pay for both sides and that's then the same thing kind of goes with like you said with the park hopper when having five days you can go to all those parks as opposed to saying we're going to just epcot and that's it kids right so did you find that your uh daughter was able to keep up with helping read signs and find different places that you were going to. I noticed in one of your articles that you had posted over at AISquared.com slash blog that the uh, idea of having her having to look at different maps constantly was going to impact her vacation, plus it wasn't going to make it too fun of a vacation for yourself. Right, right. So did she adapt to the situation? She did. And I remember walking from the bus to the entrance to one of the parks and I saw a sign and I asked her what it said. And she's like, she got annoyed, you know, (laughs) like you don't have to know what every single sign says. (laughs) And she was right because it was totally unrelated to what we were doing. It was just, I was curious. (laughs) So I got better at only asking her what we needed to know. There were signs 
directional signs at Magic Kingdom that were kind of in a fancy Gothic font, and I couldn't read any of those. And if we were looking for something that she wanted to go to, then she was happy to read the signs. So (laughs) we didn't really do a heck of a lot of map reading. We did some, and she would do it. But it's pretty easy to just kind of walk around and see what's there and have fun. So I don't think it was uh, an overburden for her at all. Now, you did get one of the handheld devices that Disney's known for using for accessibility around the park. How did that whole situation work out? That was interesting because when my daughter Arden, before we went down, I didn't mention anything about it. And we get to Magic Kingdom and I tell her about this device that I want to try out it will help me figure out where we are. And she did not want me to get this device. And at the time I thought... You know, was it because she's embarrassed about it, you know, having this extra thing hang around my neck? And it was a day later where I brought it up again. She said, well, no, not today, but maybe tomorrow because we were going to meet up with another family from Manchester and their nine-year-old girl. She said, why don't you get it tomorrow? Because then she was going to have a friend to hang out with and talk to. So then it was kind of like, ah, aha. She was seeing this device as a disruptive thing between her and me, that I wouldn't pay attention enough to her while listening to this device. So in a way, I was kind of relieved that it wasn't an embarrassment issue. So yeah, when I did eventually try this device out for the first time, I was wondering myself, was it going to be third wheel and intrusion? Because I did actually try it before we met up with his family. And it wasn't really because I was thinking it would be something that you would like go into configuration and set it up for how verbose you wanted it to be. But it wasn't like that at all. It was just you press a button or forward ahead, arrow down a menu when you wanted more information on the spot. So you didn't have to spend time really figuring it out too much. You just press a button and listen to what it said. And actually, when you move from one area to the next, like frontier land to fantasy land or something, It'll tell you entering fantasy land. And then you can choose to listen in more detail of what fantasy land is and get a description of what it looks like around you, which I didn't really need. But then I could go ahead and listen to attractions are in fantasy land. And that's what was really helpful because then you didn't have to go to the numbered map. And that was really cool. And that helped us. Oh, you could find out what attractions, in other words, what rides, what presentations, etc. And then if you wanted to get a more detailed description of that attraction. So I didn't find it to be an intrusion hardly at all. And thought it was pretty helpful. And you could also 
press a button, it would say, restrooms to the left of such and such building. And of course, if you're blind, you're going like, huh? <laughs> How do I know where, where that building is? And with me, I also didn't know where that building was. So at that point, I would have Arden help. And you didn't have any problems with uh, wearing headphones and being distracted by that while wandering around? No. I, or trying to communicate with your daughter? No. As was suggested to me from several people, I brought my Aftershocks headset. I have the new Bluetooth ones, but I have the wired ones, and that worked out great. Of course, I don't know if the Bluetooth ones would work with this device anyways. They don't cover your ears. So Arden didn't even know I was using it sometimes. She didn't know I was listening to it while still hearing her at the same time. And, you know, the descriptions of the attractions are very short. They tell you what you need to know. So it wasn't one of these things where it went on and on and on. And it's like, oh, gosh, too much. So I thought it was pretty cool. Great. So was there anything that happened while you were at Disney that you wished you would have known about beforehand or was something that you were dreading uh, actually easier once you did actually get there and then interact with the park? Well, in general, I was fearing the crowds like at the electric parade at Magic Kingdom at night. You know, my boss had pointed out Remember, everyone who's been at all the parks that day are now all coming to Magic Kingdom to see the electric parade. So it's a lot of people and it's crazy. And it was, but I told Arden my fears and she was very good at sticking with me. And so it worked out great. We just stuck together and Meanwhile, we'd walk by people that were stressed out because they had lost each other, you know, two groups of people who had lost connection. (laughs) So um, we did good despite my vision. We were able to not lose each other. And in fact, right after the electric parade, we took advantage of all the people, you know, just finishing up the parade and then heading out of the park We stayed at that point and did a bunch of rides all at once because there were no lines at that point. And that was just a blast. That was our best moment is that evening at Magic Kingdom when we were running around catching all these rides with no lines and it was just a riot. You know, you always have bad moments at these theme parks like three o'clock in the afternoon. It's, It's boiling hot. There's no shade and you're looking for food. You're going to get those moments, but you're going to get these great moments too, where you're just having total all out fun. (laughs) Absolutely. And if you plan your dinner early, right, you do the dinner, say like four five, six, then everybody's going to dinner and that frees up a lot of the rides or a lot of the attractions you're trying to go to. And if you've seen the fireworks once and you can check that off your list, then that even gives you more time to get things done. And of course, staying on the park, you get able to get in there earlier than everybody else too. That's a whole nother issue. And so that's even more time. And you're right. Being judicious and kind of sort of, because it is so overwhelming. It's easy to get to, like you were saying, but it's so large and there's so much to see and do. So it's good to be able to have some flexibility in your schedule 
and jump from place to place. But like you said, the very beginning of this, it's always good to say, okay, we're coming back to point X at six. So if anything happens to any of us and your cell phone isn't charged, we know we all are back here at point X at six. Poof. You know, that way. Right. So that makes life a little easier too. Especially if you're staying on site, because then you can all be back at the hotel if everything goes wrong. But if you're the only one who needs a ride home, <laughs> then you definitely don't want to lose the guy who's giving you that ride. And staying at a Disney park, they have these magic hours. And when I heard about it over the phone, when they were Disney was marketing it to me, why I should stay at Disney, and they told me about the magic hours, for example, you may get to be stay at Magic Kingdom from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And I'm like, I have a nine-year-old. I don't think we'll be doing that. But believe me, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What were some of your favorite places you ate? You said you did dinner there. Uh, Did you have a favorite restaurant? Did you have a place that you wish you had gone or? In Magic Kingdom, we ate at Tony's Town Square in one evening, like at six o'clock. No, I think later. And when we got out from dinner, the electric parade was starting. So it's this restaurant called Tony's Town Square, and it was excellent Italian food. Excellent is basically right at the tail end of the electric parade. So that was a perfect place to eat. And in the it has a big porch out front. So a lot of people actually come and grab a rocking chair on their porch to watch the parade. And we ate at the Grand Floridian. It was a character oh, yeah. dinner where you get your picture taken with a wonderful prince and three ugly stepsisters and on and on and on. And it was a buffet, which was actually very good. And then we walk out. This was, we thought it was pretty magical and easy. We walk out of the Grand Floridian, the back of it. And it was at night. It was dark. And we're walking down and Arden said, hey, there's a boat to Magic Kingdom. There was a sign. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we got in the boat and we went to Kingdom. We get off and the fireworks were starting. So... You know, I didn't have to plan this. I didn't have to know ahead of time exactly how to get from point A to point B. A lot of it just happens, and a lot of it is pretty darn easy. I love the meal pass. That's one of the coolest things about it is you have so many options and so many places you can go, and you don't have to think about money or or all of that. It's already just done. Yeah. You don't have to worry about carrying a bunch of stuff on you right. or or anything like that. It's just, you know, show up, eat, walk, go. Don't have to think about it. Gratuity's all done. You're just rocking. And years ago, they used to be able to do, well, that, and you used to be able to make reservations at the front of Epcot. So you would actually go over to Spaceship Earth and there'd be these video conferences and you would talk to somebody, you know, back when video phones were in the future before we had Skype. And uh, you would choose the place you wanted. And mom got really mad at me one year because I got there late to make our reservations. And the choices were Monaco and China. And I chose China. And uh, mom was like, we didn't drive like half a continent to be able to eat Chinese food. We could do that back in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) It was the concept of eating Moroccan food did not sound good at the time. Later on, I, I ate Moroccan food. But it really does help like you did to plan that out because if there's somewhere you yeah, really want to go, 
you don't want to wait till last yeah, minute to I agree try to that book that. Getting some of those dinner reservations was good. We ate at a Japanese place, Tap Tapan Ido, at the Japanese pavilion at Epcot. That was really good. It's a and beautiful pavilion. There was a 50s style restaurant at Hollywood Studios that was kind of fun. Is that the one with the cars in it? You eat and like you sit in cars or something like that, or that they've always got like a oh you did the diner okay. There's a sci-fi. Oh one no, too, yeah, this is the diner where you're like eating at like a drive-in kind of thing. It's oh, kind of that would be fun. And Epcot also the food for the express meals or whatever they call them was oh, good. Yeah. In the French Pavilion, got an amazing express meal on the dining plan, and so. If I had to do it all again, I would have planned being at Epcot for, for for a lot of the meals because the food at the Magic Kingdom was pretty horrible, pretty greasy. Yeah. There's a lot of fast foodish places there. The fish place I'm thinking of over in near Adventureland over by Frontier and all that. Yeah, uh, There's a couple of places. There's a place that we always go. I don't know if it's still there. But there's a family tradition that we go get frozen chocolate-covered bananas over on the outside of a Tomorrowland. Because it's mm. just something we did our very first trip, and so we have to do it each time. Uh-huh. And one of the years we went, my family was actually, we won one of those McDonald's trips on Monopoly. I was shocked, too. I didn't think those trips ever got given away to people. Anyway, we won one of those trips. Huh. And uh, when we went, it was uh, in March and it was a snap freeze and it was 37 degrees in the magic kingdom. And, uh, we still did our tradition of getting the banana and the guy looked at us like we were nuts. Cause you couldn't eat it for like another hour. You might as well just carry it around with you and put it in your pocket. But there's some neat stands that are there that you can get. I would avoid doing things like eating hamburgers and hot dogs at the America pavilion because you can get hamburgers and hot dogs anywhere. <laughs> right. You know, you you won't want to skip something like that because I mean, this is this is a treat. There's some amazing food at these places, and you can do some really neat things that you wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to. There are some amazing restaurants at the front of um, Universal as well, uh, Emeralds and others, and those are just so freaky pricey. Like, you know, you could walk out of there with a car payment out of your mm. checkbook because the food gets very very pricey at some of these well-known big name places. So again, I can't lean on that enough. Now attractions. What was your favorite and what was your daughter's favorite? Joe, I thought of you at this attraction and I've got to think Uh-oh. that this is your favorite in Tomorrowland. Uh-oh. Buzz Lightyear. I've not done that one yet. I've heard a lot about that. Oh my gosh. I, you would love it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll put it down on my list. I want to try and hit there, this NFB conventions in Orlando for the next five years. So it's definitely something I want to try and hit. Well, I would have thought it would have been Space Mountain, since he's a limousine rider. I've done Space Mountain a couple of times. It's starting to show its age, but I've done Space Mountain a couple of times. I didn't like Space Mountain at all. Too scary. It's awesome. No, I don't like it. In the dark roller coaster, black lights everywhere. Great for somebody who has glare sensitivity issues. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's perfect, you know? Got my mother to go on that ride. How she didn't have a heart attack at the end of it and kill me, I don't know. But that was, yeah, no. Was, we actually went through the people mover. I um, The people mover kind of takes you around and gives you an overview of Tomorrowland, and it actually takes you inside Space Mountain. And uh, we were with friends and my parents who went with me, and uh, 
my mom saw this and went, oh, I want to ride this. And I went, you, you're sure, right? You really, really want to do this? And she goes, yeah. So you go to the very top and then you race down to the bottom. And at the very bottom, we get off the ride and my mother is just wise as a sheet. And she's like, I can't believe I said, I, 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 why'd you talk me into this? I didn't talk you into this. You wanted to be on this. And so I said, but are you ready for the second ride? And she goes, what? I said, you know, we went down like a mile underground. We got to go all the way back up to the top. There's another ride. And you get on this long people mover elevator to take you back up to the exit. And the whole time my mom's like, there are stairs, right? No way. No, they have elevators. I'm sure people have been stuck down here. I'm not getting on another ride. And we get to the very top and she sees daylight. And I think my mother hit me harder than any other time in my life because I come stumbling (laughs) out of that ride. My father goes, wow, what'd you say to your mother? You know, So yeah, no, I, I have great great memories of uh, parental abuse at Disney World. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, so what other ones? Buzz Lightyear, okay. Yeah, the rides that were my favorite were the ones that had some motion, but not scary, but extremely vivid colors. And Buzz Buzz okay. Lightyear was one of those. Just you know, extreme fluorescent, just. Yeah. Just really, really bright colors that my vision could not miss. <laughs> and you shoot at stuff and you can turn your thing around and it's silly and fun. Cool. And there was one time where I, I looked at something. You know, I can't see really what I'm supposed to shoot at. So you just kind of guess. And I saw something, I, I but that's a good one. And I must have hit it dead on because I racked up 100,000 points on that one. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we did that one about three times at night. It was wow. just so much fun. Okay. It was one of those extra magic hours delights. And another right. one that we had a lot of fun one on was Under the Sea in Fantasyland. Yeah. That's a new one. It, again, a lot of bright, bright colors. Just you can't miss anything. And it had the story of Ariel, the mermaid. And it was just fun. It was just visually pleasing, I guess I, I should call it. And there was something to look at in every direction. And you saw something new every time you did it, even if you're not visually impaired. My daughter That's would say, That's happening a lot more. Star Tours, there's like 57 different paths. So if you go to do the new Star Tours, um, you can actually have a different experience if you are a constant visitor to the park, which I'm seeing a lot more on attractions. So if, hmm. if you go, you don't go like, oh, it's the Back to the Future ride again. Here's the part where we go towards the clock tower, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I liked the Carousel of Progress. Did you go on that mm-hmm. one? I've been there. Yep. Yeah, that was interesting. You move around and you see different scenes acted out in different decades of American history. That was nice. And we went to, in Hollywood Studios, we went to the American Idol Experience because I have a nine-year-old girl. And that was fun. That was fun. I I enjoyed it. Do they have a uh, 
historical perspective of former idol winners do you get to go past ruben stuttered and justin and kelly and uh, this is actually the amount of knowledge i have on american idol i've just reached it so <laughs> is there a retrospective or do you do a sing-along karaoke yeah. kind of thing they did show a video of some previous winners like their reaction when they won uh, and but anyone can go in addition that day to be on it they have like three or four shows a day in the afternoon and one person wins for each of these shows and it's only the audience that votes although they do have three judges that comment on <laughs> how they think they did and then the final show at seven o'clock in the evening is a final where each of the winners goes head to head and the winner gets to go to American Idol. And fights in Jaya. See, wait, I remembered one more. I don't know why I remember that one, but I did. <laughs> He's an improvement on who's on there this year. Okay, cool. That makes sense. That show needs to be canceled. I'm sorry. <laughs> the voice <laughs> The voice has they all the talent. They found a way to kill off cops this year, right? Fox is actually killing off cops, so maybe American Idol has to go another 14 years before it gets to... No, let's bring back cops. Great. Let's bring back cops. <laughs> 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 Please bring back cops. <laughs> because I'm a Disney fan, I've done the classics. Like one year I had to go do Haunted Mansion and I had to go to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which is all these diesel cars. And so they have this old 50s, 60s motor that's constantly going and you're going through all these tunnels. And that is where Florida in the summer works against you because all those fumes stay in those tunnels. And so <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, well, that was that was history. Now hand me some oxygen. Um, I have a history of rides breaking when I go. And so the very first year we went, we got stuck on It's a Small, Small World. And hmm. we got stuck on the first third of that ride. And... The guy comes from behind one of the hidden doors and goes, is everybody okay? And we're like, can you just please shut the music off? Can you just stop it? It's been 20 <laughs> minutes. It's a world of dreams that I wish to destroy. And of course the guy's like, oh no, that runs on a loop. We can't stop it. And oh, when the ride started again, you then had to go through the other two thirds of It's a Small World where you hear it in every language probably known to man. And it lost its magic very quickly. So when you got off that ride, you were ready to kill anybody who was singing that in front of you waiting to get on that ride. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a very special place in my heart for It's a Small World. Now, flash forward a couple of years later, we go to Spaceship Earth. And Spaceship Earth is in Epcot. And there's a portion, and it's very dramatic. The ride tilts you at a kind of a 35-degree angle. And you start going up a track very slowly towards the earth. And I don't know if it's like this anymore. Maybe they have somebody new, but Walter Cronkite does this thing and telling you about the earth as you're getting further and further away and closer and closer to the moon. And at the apex of this, the damn thing broke. <laughs> and so you're stuck in this 35 degree angle and the chairs were made for preschoolers. Uh, so if you're six, one or taller, like I am, you feel like a Pez dispenser and your head's going to go off the back. And my father who had broken his back was like, I see stairs. <laughs> it was like, please do not get out of the vehicle. No, I see the exit sign. I can get out of this thing. You know? <laughs> so 
If you go to Disney World, message me on Twitter. Make sure that I'm not going because you might end up on a broken ride. Um, <laughs> Haunted Mansion is a little hard to see if you're going from light to dark. That's something you have to think of. Some of these uh, rides are enclosed. So from a low vision perspective, you have to think about that because you're going to go from Space Mountain, which is way dark, to outside possibly, which is way sunny. So you may want to keep your sunglasses around and just be aware of these things when you make the transitions back and forth. Some rides do actually utilize uh, glasses and 3D this and 3D that. I'm old enough to know about Captain EO and the 3D glasses. Uh, That's gone, but there are a lot of projectors and rides and stuff like that. So for the most part, it's fairly easy to get around in. Harry Potter World is actually was very difficult for me because once when you go into Hogwarts, it's not clearly noted where you can walk and where poles are. So I found myself staying kind of towards the back of the room because there's all these interactive parts. They recorded audio for all the animation and animatronics and all this stuff and the flying brooms and stuff and their galleries. But you will have issues if you have trouble with light to dark that you do when you're moving forward, you don't step on somebody or that there's a banister or a rail. You can actually move further, but I found myself kind of sort of hitting those. And so the cane was a great help there for me because then it let others know that I was being officially rude because I chose to be. And that's kind of helpful too. So knowing that before you choose a ride or attraction, or if you have somebody who's already gone through the park, will help you a great deal. Yeah, I had that issue going through a line. I think it was for under the sea. You kind of wind around and it's dark. And yes, you had that same going from light to dark. And I remember just being totally blacked out. And I was like, Arden, help. I can't see. I can't see anything. <laughs> and then I realized there was a railing. So, oh, okay, duh, I'll just follow the railing. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, but but I was thinking, you know, if I had been crowded, I definitely could have been stepping on some toes. In fact, some woman was sitting while waiting, and she had a Mickey Mouse hat on with a shiny thing on it, and all I saw was the shiny thing, and I didn't <laughs> know what it was, so I put my hand on it, and then realized it was a person. <laughs> Hi, oh, ma'am. Sorry. I was just admiring your wonderful uh, chapeau. Uh, let me... Right. Right. Did you, right. Did you get so... this on Main Street? Oh, this is really neat. That's when you start, you know, trying to BS your way out of that, you know. Oh, that's very exactly. cute. Right. So that's where a cane would have come in handy. <laughs> yeah. So did you pre-identify yourself as being visually impaired in any way while you were at the park to sort of give people a heads up as far as waiting in line or... People organizing the rides and things? Well, I went to the guest services when I entered each park and got... Actually, I think you only needed to get this card once and it worked for all of the parks. The guest... I wish I I had it right here. The guest service card or something like that. It has a red banner across the top. And so you can kind of show it and it would identify to the Disney cast members right away that, you know, you may need some assistance. For example, I used it at American Idol. We got there just as the doors were closing and I showed it and I said, I'm visually impaired. And the nice gentleman brought us right up to the front, near the front row. So that was great. 
but I was told specifically that it was not really for use as a fast pass. And I'll tell you how I found this out is the day we met friends at Epcot, they had already been there an hour and they had already gotten a fast pass to the attraction called Test Track, which is a really fast, speedy car kind of thing. And so their time was had come up to be able to go into this ride and we didn't have a fast pass and there was a long line. So I went up and I said, I've got this card. Can we go in the fast pass line? And she said, well, it's not for that. You know, it's basically to get in the front row of an attraction, like a theater, things like that, if you're visually impaired. Or for another disability, it could mean something else. You know, whatever you need will help kind of thing. But then we were with our friends and the Disney cast member said, oh, but you guys have a fast pass? Well, okay, you know, so she let us all in in the fast pass line. Yeah, so you didn't break up the group. Did you know you could have made some extra money, though, you know, displaying that cane and jumping ahead? Rodney's talking about this as a summer job, aren't you, Rodney? Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) hey, at Christmas time, I'm one of the more popular people. Hey, I need to go Christmas shopping. You got your handicap tag? I need to go park at the mall. You you want a cookie or something while I go shopping? Uh, I'm like, hey, bring me back a waffle cone and some yogurt, and I'm ready to roll. (laughs) But apparently there— We've established who you are. We're just haggling over your price. Got Okay, good to know. I am a shill. I could come up with a worse word, but this is a family (laughs) podcast. Uh, But apparently... I understand. But after Mari returned, there is a story about rich Manhattan moms actually hiring visually impaired and disabled folks to help their kids get sort of through in Disney World. I think, Ranger, I think you guys are covering that on Sarah Talk. Yeah, on Sarah Talk 155, you'll hear my comments with Ricky in the Battle of Wits, in which Ricky always wins. And uh, we talked about that in Roundabout. And uh, I admit that I've used this serve not for financial gain. I've just used it because I like going to the park. But I've used the ability to do what Maury described to get to the fronts of some lines. Or I've actually been pulled out of line by Disney Cast and said, no, you want to go through this area. And so I've benefited from this. And on staff, we've joked about it. Mr. Calvo, who is our CEO at Serotech, uh, lives in Orlando. And we we jokingly said to him one year, you know, hey, you can pick up some money on the side. So it's always been kind of one of those things you joke about in polite company, but you never, ever talk about in real life. Well, apparently, some people have figured that out and have gamed the system in such a way that they were getting monetary compensation for getting people through the park quicker. And uh, there was a little bit of a discussion on whether that was right, wrong, abuse of policy, or just a way to make sure that some of us have gainful employment. I think it's all of the above. And I've been thinking about this, and I'm thinking I'm not sure that's the kind of thing I'd want my daughter to see if I was a rich Manhattan mom, (laughs) which I'm not, would I want to pay someone to give her that advantage? And I don't like the example that that gives my daughter. I'll put it that way. Right. But for unemployment, hey, why not? (laughs) 
I'm just a tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, in this case, yes, this is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I could understand if you know somebody saying, hey, we're all going as a group, you know, make sure to carry your cane along, you know, that kind of thing. I've, I've never really identified myself as being legally blind and carrying a cane or anything like that. But I have like worked with uh, like here in Chapel Hill when I was a student at UNC, I had worked with uh, the guys there in disability services to sort of set up how visually impaired people could actually go and get concert tickets so that you could actually see what concert you're at. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, back in 1987, we had a Bob Dylan concert here. And uh, you wouldn't imagine how many people we had in wheelchairs. And then you walked by them and you realized that on the back, uh, all of them were marked Rent-A-Center or something where the people had gone out (laughs) and rented the wheelchairs. And it was always a miracle that all those people would jump up and start dancing. It was a miracle. (laughs) You know, so, I mean, it takes all types, you know. I mean, I think in this instance, yeah, this is a little abusive of it. I don't know how you enforce this, though. You know, if you alter the policy because some people have benefited from it, and do utilize it with their family, then I don't know how you really enforce that unless you see the same dude show up like over and over and over again. And even then, he might be a great customer. He might have a pass there in Florida. You know, he might have bought the kind of yearly pass that you can buy. If you're a resident of Florida, you can do that. So I kind of understand this, but I also have benefited from the service, and again, I'm not financially for my own, you know, family and inter- entertainment. So I don't necessarily want to see this altered. And this gets into a wider conversation about, like you were saying with concerts, I've talked to venues and said, look, I'm visually impaired and I don't wish to get stomped all over. Is there an opportunity for me to come a little early, come through a side door through the backstage and get to my seat without getting run over or I'll sit until everybody leaves and then I'll go. So I don't have the same problem getting out. I mean, I do that at movie theaters where first one in last one out kind of thing, because I don't wish to hit anybody or stomp on anybody or cause any, any ill feelings. So in a lot of cases, like with plays or with musicals or symphonies or stuff like that, you might have someone who is in charge of doing nothing but special services so that way there is an easier time of it. And same way as the airport. If it's a new airport, yeah, I, please escort me to my gate. I do not wish to miss my plane. And moreover, I don't know this airport. So I don't wish to stumble around through 85 gates. I know there are some visually impaired and blind individuals who feel very much differently and that they will figure this out on their own. And I respect that and I understand that. But as I've gotten older, I don't feel that way any longer. I just wish to accomplish the goal I want to do. Well, and at at like the uh, Dini Smith Center where I had the discussions with them, everyone was kind of like, well, we're trying to build a service so that everyone involved can enjoy the process, you know, enjoy the concert, enjoy the event that's going on. So, I mean, I can kind of see Disney maybe wanting to help people out. In that regard, you know, because you're sitting there, you're waiting around and everything. Yes, you can wait in the line. That's not a big deal. But for someone that's having maybe visual issues or physical handicap issues, it might just be a little perk to sort of 
make their day a little brighter. Oh God, am I talking like yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Say it's me. the happiest place on earth. Oy. Don't you understand? It's a world of dreams. It's a world of change. It's a world. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> it is a small, small world after all. But is it possible to kick someone through Skype? No, just it's possible. <laughs> I, I don't know if you have the ability to, but you know, what can I say? Let us know what you think of this and other thoughts that we have brought up here. Or if you have questions you wanted to ask Maury about her trip, you can ask them over at the Zoomed In blog or write them on into resources at saratalk.com or leave us an eye report right there at iBlink Radio for Android and iOS. And check the show notes for that rich Manhattan mom story from the New York Post. Yippee. Well, it seems like we have covered everything Disney and such. So let's head into a little bit of a break to give us all a uh, time to sort of breathe a sigh of relief and get Ranger's reciting of It's a Small World out of our heads. But unfortunately, you're going to get to listen to him review the Final Fantasy game for iOS. You are listening to High Contrast on SPN. In the wake of a disaster, what one thing can you send that will help people the most? A blanket, a tent, a sterile bandage, a sandbag, a doctor, a sheet of plywood, a shovel, a bulldozer, a stethoscope, a cement mixer, an oxygen tank, a bed, a house. Actually, if you send a monetary donation, you send all these things. Even a small donation can make a big impact. It can quickly become exactly what people affected by disaster need most. Food, medical services, shelter, and other essential supplies. It can help improve the immediate distress and over time becomes a crucial tool in rebuilding schools, hospitals, and homes and getting local businesses back on their feet. A monetary donation is an easy and effective way you can help. Want to help those affected by Hurricane Sandy? To donate, visit sandy.adcouncil.org. That's sandy.adcouncil.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey everyone, Joe Steinkamp back with you to talk about one of the classics, Final Fantasy from Square. Well, Square Soft, before it became Square Enix, but I won't bore you with the history. What I will say is, this is a classic game that originally came out for the Nintendo Entertainment System in the late 80s, and this was the game that actually saved the company, Square Soft. It is your classic Japanese RPG. And as a role-playing game, you move around some characters, and then you get into battles with monsters, and you have menus that come up, and you say fight, or cast a spell, or use an item, and it's all menu-driven. And uh, this was the style for role-playing games that were based on Dungeons & Dragons-like experiences for a good 7 to 10 years before it got really more twitchy where you have to hit buttons at a certain time and do all this crazy stuff. Now, this isn't just a, an old 80s game that's been shoved onto the iPad or iPhone. It's actually been uh, kind of given a, a Super Nintendo-looking treatment. So it's more of a 16-bit looking game than an 8-bit game. The music's been redone. Fantastic in headphones. And I thought when I got this game, okay, this is going to be interesting because I'm used to playing this game on a controller. Maybe it'll be a little interesting or freeform that I can touch the screen and, and hit these things. Then I realized that it's a little more work than I had expected because you have to hit the menu on the right side, then touch the monster you want to attack, and then 
you know, confirm and then go, 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 and rinse and repeat. That was a little disconcerting at first until I found a very comfortable way of laying on my couch and then moving my hand back and forth. That says a lot about exercise and gaming that I won't get into, but you can move your hand back and forth and it is easy to do. And the touch targets are very simple. The screen is pretty big. If you have general low vision, you should be okay. Coloring is pretty neat. And if you're really worried, uh, grab yourself an Apple TV and throw this up on your big screen with AirPlay. That'll probably help a little bit. I would also say that what's neat about this, if you've played Final Fantasy before, you can save anywhere. The app suspends nicely if you click the home button. Uh, you have three save slots. It's around 140, 150 meg, which seems you know like a lot, but not when compared to, say, something like, oh, I don't know, Angry Birds, which is 365, or uh, say something much higher. There are actually one gig games out there, believe it or not. Chaos Rings by the same company is pretty big. It's like 864 megs. The Final Fantasy game won't take you a whole lot to get through. It's about 20 hours, maybe 30 hours if you go around leveling up. There are stores and towns and things to buy. The dialogue and the American translation has been redone, so there aren't as many English problems as there were in the original game, which had some really dodgy wording. There is no speech, so this is all text on screen and pretty neat. The on-screen controls take a little getting used to. A hot tip, by the way, if you push a direction on the virtual direction pad, which is at your bottom left, and you hold the action button, you'll actually run, which is kind of nice if you're having to uh, go across a very large field. So this game goes on sale. Occasionally, I've seen this as low as $7.99. Generally, I've, you can see Square games anywhere from $9.99 to $17.99. There are some other games in the Final Fantasy series. They also receive the super cool treatment, up-resing, and new gameplay. But I gotta say, for someone who played this game like 20 years ago, it's really neat to be able to just touch the screen and have your characters do these things, even in something like an ongoing menu battle. Seems neat, but it's a lot better than just mashing the A button over and over and over again. So it does feel like you're interacting with these characters more. That's Final Fantasy over in the iOS app store for iPhone and iPad. Check out all the other Square games that are there uh, if you like that kind of menu-driven thing. It's really neat. Uh, this does not work with voiceover. This is really a low-vision game, so I'm just warning everybody up front. And that is a great game. Happy questing from me, Joe Steinkamp, and High Contrast. Welcome back to High Contrast here on SPN. We are going to do something that we have not done in a few episodes, and that is dig around under the desk and see what might actually come out of the mailbag. And I'm going to toss it to Joe for the very first eye report. Hey, look, we've got one from Jane. Hello, um, this message is directed to the High Contrast folks. Um, I did finish listening to episode 9, and I had a great show. Um, I do have a comment in regards to, you guys talked about Windows and Mac, and also different magnification. But also, I wanted to bring in the screen reader um, side of things, too. I think it's important to know that, although you know, we do have all these different screen readers that we are a fan of, 
and I don't know, we tend to tailor towards one specific screen reader um, because of the fact that it reports things or because of the fact that it, you know, says things and the key um, combinations make sense to us in our mind. But it's kind of hard to really get used to different types of screen readers, same as different types of magnification. I don't know, in my mind, JFW or Jazz for Windows seems to set in with me. But what what it said to me, um, I have to interact with things, and not like Jaws. I have to do some awkward <laughs> and weird commands to, I don't know, it just didn't set in with me. I think that's why I tend to lean in toward Windows side of things. Windows versus Mac. Yeah, that was a very controversial thing for us to talk about. We did get more than just a couple of people who felt uh, one way or another about either side. I think it is important to remember that, you know, Mac does have its own built-in voiceover support, and that's great. But there are some advantages to having multiple screen readers because uh, one ring doesn't rule them all anymore. And sometimes it's nice to have a choice because if one screen reader fails you in one respect, then another might be able to do it a little better than the others. So if not our own system access helping out, then maybe NVDA or maybe, you know, Supernova from Dolphin, uh, maybe Windowize from GW Micro or even JAWS. There are some things that JAWS does exceptionally well and people do have a tendency to have to run more than one screen reader. And screen magnification, same way. There's Zoom Text for Mac, as well as the built-in Zoom for the Mac. So you have choice over there now. And, you know, there's some things that are out there. So you don't have to be stuck with just one. And there are people who are having to learn how to be kind of bi-operational system at all. Uh, yeah, I made up a word. And that means you actually have to use more than one operating system. So that could be Windows on your PC and iOS on your iPhone. How spontaneous of you to make up a fake word. I try. Somehow in Talk, I was able to talk about the bilingual, which was a object in sharper image that would monitor your dog's barks and then try to tell you as a translator what he was asking for. Is that a real product? And now you know why Sharper Image. That was a real product from a company that is no longer with us, Sharper Image, in the way that it used to be. But yes, the Bowlingual, B-O-W, Bowlingual. I wonder if they also sold Corinthian now leather. Now the Wikipedia article in show notes that I've mentioned it twice on two shows. So. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I understand the uh, multiple screen reader thing because uh, I actually purchased Magic when they were running a special back in April, and I haven't quite gotten the hang of it. I just haven't been able to sit down and sort of force myself to go all that direction. So... Like driving manual and automatic, you just get used to that, don't you? I mean, you get used to the way a certain screen magnifier will bounce you or if you alt-tab where your focus goes and, and all of that. It really does become like driving on the other side of the road. My biggest problem right now is going from zoom text, which allows me to do the control key plus the mouse wheel to zoom in and out, and magic doesn't seem to have that functionality, and it drives me absolutely nuts when I need to do something right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, we did get a couple of emails. Speaking of our discussion in, was it episode nine where we talked about uh, Mac or I can't remember which episode number I that believe was. So, because episode 10 was uh, Byron talking to us about huh. iOS and Android 
on the tablet. Yeah, Pam Francis wrote in, and she was disappointed in our episode where we talked about the Mac versus Windows because we were pretty much coming from a Windows standpoint, and it seemed like to her that our podcast had sort of jumped off the tracks, if you will, from its basic inception because we didn't really look to have someone on the show that had used the Mac and could actually provide a well-rounded debate. That was the majority of... I tried. Well, technically, I use the Mac. <laughs> did, I did, think I was the defender on that podcast. <laughs> didn't we actually look for more opinions and we didn't get any responses? No, just kidding. <laughs> Not too many, but I think it's important what Pam has written to us in the past on, and we do appreciate her writing in, and she says nice things about us on Twitter as well, so we appreciate that. There is some service after the sale. We did touch on that. I don't think that we focused on it a whole bunch, but... If you want to be able to have some type of end-to-end experience, Mac is a certainly better situation for that because you're buying from Apple, you have the Apple Store, you have the geniuses, you can set up an appointment, you can get training, you can have, you know, Apple Care. If something goes wrong, you go right to the Apple Store if you have one in your area, but they're almost like Starbucks these days. And you have that kind of experience where someone is there to assist. And if that's what you're looking for, you can do that. You are paying sometimes a lot more for that premium, but you know, there used to be this thing called an e-ticket at Disney world. And that relates to the very top of the line ticket that would only let you get to some rides, other rides you couldn't get to. But point here being If you're going to pay that money, you should have that experience. If you're not looking for that, if you're looking for something that's a little bit more free form or the ability for you to choose a much more cost efficient model, going to Best Buy, Fry's, or your computer place of choice, or even the computer makers themselves, Dell or whoever, and buying an extended warranty, maybe even with on-site support, will get you the same kind of thing if not the training portion, because certainly there are how-to places and those cost a little bit more, but you have more of a wider open option, like we were saying a second ago about the differences of screen readers. With Mac, and this is not just for voiceover, but it either works or it doesn't. And that's a famous idiom that's been around in the Mac world for a very long time. And just like driving on the left side or the right side of the road, Some people are so used to Windows, it is very difficult for them to jump over to a new operating system, be it the navigation, be it the menus, be it terminology. For me, voiceover, learning how to do things with four fingers was a bit much or that I had to interact with things. Where in Windows, if I put focus on something, I'm interacting with it. I don't want to necessarily have to hit, you know, four keys, uh, you know, your voiceover keys, uh, command option, then shift and then down arrow to interact with something that just seems kind of nuts to me. And I had a little issue with it until I kind of sort of crocked it. The best thing advice I can say though is, and I think I said it on episode nine, you have to just stay in Mac for like two weeks and not go back to windows. You have to immerse yourself in it just like a country and learning another language. And it sounds crazy, but that's some advice that I heard on a main menu with Jeff Bishop, (laughs) like seven years ago 
And it's been the best advice I can give anybody who's looking at moving back and forth between both or just switching to one side. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get to with uh, using magic. I'm trying a lot of time when I can actually just sit down and try and work with it for a day and sort of get used to the commands and things. Because when you're trying to get things done, you need to get them done. You don't need to uh, make a task three hours long. <laughs> uh, Pam- how, how did this go again? What keys are these? Where's my hot keys? Oh, where did my notes go? Oh, Oh, need, I'm late on the deadline. Yeah, I no, need I control. Completely got gotcha you on that. I need control shift alt enter insert. What? Huh? I'm not lost. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Pam also was who wondering- relabeled my keys? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Rodney, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Is when you just want to get something done, you want to get it done. <laughs> I've been struggling with that in trying to learn the Mac, the voiceover. You know, I've been relying on the Zoom text for the Mac, which is kind of preventing me from learning voiceover like I should know it. <laughs> Are you just wanting a just Zoom text wanna... keyboard for Mac? Come on. You just... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want to get it done. And you can't train yourself and get things done at the same time. At least I can't. Yeah. Agreed. And there's some tutorials there, but... And there's help. I mean, there's keyboard echo help and stuff like that. And there's hotkey help. But if you're so used to doing it from one side and having to immerse yourself into the other side and it just doesn't feel logical. And then you'll, ri- you know, you'll hit something like alt tab, which you're like, oh, that's familiar. And then you go right back to your windows hotkeys going, why isn't this working? And this doesn't make sense to me. It can be very difficult. And like I said, to do a right click is for keys. What? That's crazy. So I understand that. And I do get that some people really do use this. As I said on episode nine, there are people who do fine on Mac who really enjoy it. And that's awesome. That is absolutely great. But a lot of us, you know, still exist in Windows. And there are a lot of Windows, like 91% of the computers in the world are Windows. And Pam was also wondering uh, why there haven't been any real stories concerning new equipment or apps that would specifically benefit those who are visually impaired. And we are looking for things. If you have a topic or an issue that you want us to try and look into to come up with some answers or develop a topic on, uh, drop us an email at resources at serotalk.com and give us an idea. Uh, because, I mean, we could probably find a bunch of different apps that we use as far as like getting organized with your electronic documents on iOS or Android, you know, something like Evernote. You know, how does that work for someone with a visual impairment? Pam also wrote in, thankfully, and thanked us for the great episode with Byron and pretty much Joe sat and talked about the comparison of Nexus 7 to the iPad mini, which uh, was an episode where I had technical issues. That was cable's fault, wasn't it? That was your cable company that day. I remember that day. Yeah, yeah, it was Byron's fault. I hadn't had a single problem. If, oh, if, that makes perfect sense. If he shows up at another time and my cable goes out, he's off or I'm going to have to quit. That's gotcha. Just it. But no, she, uh, uh, but uh, Pam was uh, saying that it did seem that our show got back on track and gave a well thought out description of the two different devices. So that's good. We appreciate positive and negative criticism because Lord knows we're just doing this as a part time job and we're not perfect 
And you have to live in those devices. One of the things that Byron did was he lived in those devices and was able to talk about those back and forth. It's very difficult to do any compare and contrast if you don't live with the device. And that's always been one of my issues about doing those. I've famously said at public appearances that we don't like to do X versus Y um, because there aren't too many people who have experience in both to be able to talk about them very well or they become one-sided. Byron, it was very nice of him. He went at it on both sides and I think he had good and bad points on either side. And I think it was a good balancing act. So thank you, Pam. We appreciate that. Yeah, it definitely helps because I hadn't really seen a Nexus 7 or anything really Android where I could put my hands on it. And luckily someone at work has one. So that kind of gave me a little bit of something to go on as opposed to going, iOS is the only way to do it. Well, that concludes our high contrast mailbag. Please drop all your comments over to resources at serotalk.com. And any show ideas, please pass those along because we're definitely looking for ideas to make the show better so that we can sort of brighten the world of more people. I don't know. I was going somewhere with that and I have no clue, so it must I be time you were about to, to wrap up. It was a up. world of dreams. It was a world. Uh, okay, never mind. I, no, never mind. I was thinking yeah, that and tweet, I was trying. Just tweet those lyrics over to Rodney on Twitter. Just feel free. He'll appreciate that. Yes, my Twitter account is at Ranger Station. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's wrap this show up. I want to thank Mari Hill. From AI Squared for helping us out today. You can find her work and stories over at AISquared.com slash blog. You can follow her on Twitter at Mari Elizabeth. Jeremy Curry is on special assignment. And you can find his information over at GW Micro. And you can even follow him on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Curry. And as always, we have the blue cheese himself, Joe Steinkamp from Serotech.com and Serotalk.com and everything SPN. And you can follow him at Ranger Station on Twitter. And as always, I am the withering, rambling host, Rodney Edgar, and you can find me at TechAccessWeekly.com. And you can even follow me on Twitter at Rodney Edgar. So, find is your sequestration at Mushroom FM over? Have you given that feedback over, or, or are you still doing that? Well, actually, my Mushroom FM show is going to come to an end at the first of June because my wife is able to take her show back over. Because I'm actually finding that a seven to ten p.m. show on Sundays causes havoc with my sleep in the morning, Ooh. having to get up at five in the morning. So I have moved along, but I will probably still try and fill in occasionally on the mighty mushroom, mushroomfm.com, which is a website and radio station hosted by primarily visually impaired folks. So anyway, this is the Serotalk Podcast Network. You can get more information by visiting serotalk.com. You can send your comments and complaints over to resources at serotalk.com. And you can listen, as always, on iBlink Radio, which you can find for iOS and Android. Please do not ask about Windows Phone at all. Windows 8 maybe one day. Who knows? Yeah. And you can also check out a free trial of SamNet by going to sa2go.com and we'll see you next time. 
because it is really a small, small world. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye-bye. It's stuck in his head. (laughs) My job here is done. (laughs) It's a small world after all. Uh.